If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 10, and I didn't get a reader, so I guess I'll read it, and everyone can stand and join me while I read John chapter 10, 11 through 16. And this is Jesus talking. Here's what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated and I'll open with a word of prayer. Lord, we just want to thank you so much for your faithfulness to us to be that good shepherd. Uh, And I ask, Lord, that as we have opportunity to reflect the good shepherd by living our lives as he would through us, uh, that there might be other sheep of other pens that are brought in to the one fold of God. And I just pray, Lord, a blessing on the reading and the understanding of his word. May you enable us to apply it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I have a little quiz for you to take. It's about three minutes long. Uh, Nicole, you can cue that up. Supposedly, uh, there is unique voices that can't be duplicated. Just like a fingerprint are unique to you, so is your voice. And so I'm just going to give you a little test run to see how well you do on this particular quiz. I got about five or six out of the ten, all right? So in your notes, if you really are that kind of person to keep score for yourself, go ahead. Otherwise, just see how many you get. Go ahead, Nicole. Question one. That movie. I love that movie. And it was just like there were so many different genres and elements, even though it was set in a certain time period. It was and and your co-star. Question two. Taking precious resources away from the poorest Americans who need them most. Illegal immigration costs our country billions and billions of dollars each year. Question three. I went traveling for the year. I, I found myself, I always get really, I come from the countryside in England. It's such a beautiful place. And I get really annoyed when uh, everyone from all over the world can. Question four. The best players always follow the best players. They want to be uh, in the top of the, the game because they're the ones they are there. You know, you cannot rest or sleep because the other one can pass you. Question five. Yeah, computers came along uh, when I was 13, and they kind of intimidated the teachers, so I and a few others uh, were viewed as the computer experts. Question six. It's, it's um, well, it doesn't really have a title yet, but it sort of takes place behind the scenes of the New York media world and, you know, the morning talk shows and, and all of that fun. Question seven. And yet I know that on this night, they look down on me with great pride. They stand here, and I stand here today, grateful for the diversity of... Question eight. Started playing because I enjoyed it. I could go with my parents uh, on the weekends to the, to the tennis club that they were members of uh, through 
their firm Question nine. Well, so it's like the prettiest place you've ever seen in your entire life. And even my sisters, everyone, we've had this dream of getting a ranch and just spending our summers there and getting away. Question 10. I don't think anyone tried to pin it on it. It just came out that way. Uh, that's a long story. But there was a meeting where John came and said, hey, God. So how'd we do? Did you get all the ones from America? <laughs> Three, <laughs> right? It's, it's one of those kind of things now, if you were like a soccer fan, someone got seven? Wow, that's impressive. That's, that's amazing. Now here's the thing about voices, right? Here's the thing about voices. They are unique. They are unique. And it requires, in a sense, a relationship. Now granted, all the voices we just heard were a one-way relationship, like none of those people know us, and the only reason why we know them is because we've heard their voices over and over and over again, uh, depending on, again, what part of the world you live in. So in one way, the relationship can be one-sided, but the voice is unique, and we know it. And one of the things that this passage is talking about is a twofold understanding of the voice. It starts off by saying, our shepherd knows our voice, and then it ends with, and the sheep know the shepherd's voice that there is a unique relationship where we can tell right away the speaker, right? And there are certain relationships that maybe only you would know. So, you know, if your mother calls you, my mom is actually visiting today. Hi, mom. If she calls me, I don't need to see on caller ID that it says mom, I would know, right? At the same time, if my mom called, I'm going to guess anyone on this side of the room, you would not know her voice at all. So there's no depth of relationship there. So the nature of a voice and the nature of a relationship go hand in hand. They go together. And we can be in relationship with people and understand their voice and know their character. And it's one of those kinds of deals when they know your name, right? So if you've ever gotten the call and it's one of these, is there a Mr. Zakaria Justice there? I instantly know what kind of call I'm getting versus is, is Zach there, right? Or Mr. Barton, his famous, if someone ever asks for William Barton, and he's not there. <laughs> because you know, right? The nature of the person talking to you, do they know your name? Do they recognize your voice? And, and Jesus is going to use an illustration here to talk about these things. So we just took the listening test. All right. In chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus is very rare in using parables in the gospel of John, and he's very rare using miracles. When John writes about Jesus's life, there's only seven miracles, and there's very few parables. So when he uses a parable, it's like a running parable. It's going gonna, it's gonna to show up throughout the entire book. And in this particular case, in chapter 10, he talks about the shepherd. He talks about the good shepherd. And this is one of the times where we see the famous I am statements of scripture. So um, John uses the I am statements a lot, where Jesus will say, I am the fill in the blank. And I am being a reference to Yahweh, the Lord. So he's making references to God himself by saying I am. So if, just as a participation feedback, what are some of the I am statements of John, where Jesus says, I am the, I am the way, the truth and the life. That's one of them. I am the door. Oh, too much. Sorry. Light of the world. Yep. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. 
I am the gate, that's in this passage right above chapter 10. And then we have, I am the shepherd right here. And so these I am statements are big statements that God makes, that that Jesus makes about himself in reference to God. So it's important to recognize this. In this case, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, forgive me a minute to uh, do a little bit of Greek study here. Uh, The first kind of word for good, I am the good shepherd. There's two words in Greek for good. The first is agathos. And that's like a moral goodness. It means like you're doing the right thing, you're doing good things. So there's two references we see here in in the Gospel of John specifically. Earlier, when um, this guy named Nathaniel hears about Jesus, does anyone remember what he says? Nathaniel says something along the lines of, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, I know people in Nazareth, they're not good people. And you're telling me the Messiah of the world has come out of Nazareth, is anything good ever come out of Nazareth? That's one kind of good. When the rich young ruler goes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, it's this word, agathos, moral goodness. He's a good moral individual. But there's another way, another word that's used that's often translated good, and it is not agathos. It is the word kalos, which means intrinsically beautiful. All right, so when John does his, John records Jesus's first miracle in John chapter two, what is, what is his first miracle in John? He turns water into wine. And when the, the, the host of the party drinks the wine, you know what he says? This is good wine, kalos, the best, the intrinsically best wine that there could be. He's like, this is amazing. You saved the very best for last, kalos. The best representation of wine these people had ever had was the first miracle that Jesus did. And here is where we get this word that's in reference to Jesus. It is not that Jesus is a good moral person. What he's saying here about himself is I am a beautiful shepherd. I'm a beautiful shepherd. And that's kind of strange, right? Because we don't usually think of shepherds as being beautiful people. Uh, in many ways, shepherds were you know, socially distant before socially distant was cool. You know, they, they were not allowed to be near people in part because of the nature of their job. They were also isolated out in the wilds of the country with a bunch of sheep. They were a unique group. And very few people would look at these pictures up here and be like, beautiful. Like that guy on the left with the cool beard. Like, that's a cool beard, but I don't think he's going to be winning any GQ awards. So when we talk about beautiful here, we have to ask ourselves the question, what makes this shepherd beautiful? What is beautiful? Um, And who would he be beautiful to? So the question that I want to ask you, who would declare a shepherd beautiful? The sheep, right? The sheep would declare him beautiful because the sheep are entirely dependent on the shepherd. Uh, I have a student who has sheep, and every time we talk about sheep, she's like, they're the dumbest creatures ever. Like, they, they would destroy themselves without oversight, without help. And in one way, it's like very humbling for God to reference us as his sheep. You know, usually we have these like very friendly pictures. But in this case, he's like, to the sheep, the shepherd is life. The shepherd is beautiful. When the shepherd calls, the sheep listen, because the shepherd has the sheep's best interest at heart. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's talking about being everything to these sheep. He's everything to them. He's beautiful to them. There is nothing on earth that they would desire more than him. And the question is, is that true for us? Are we that kind of person where the beauty of the shepherd is amazing? And again, it's not, it's not an external beauty. I think Isaiah makes it pretty clear that if we saw Jesus, if he walked in through the door in his unglorified form, he wouldn't be anything that we would be attracted to. And yet there is something about him that everybody at least had a strong reaction to. Whether drawn to him or repulsed by him, 
Nobody encountered Jesus and was like, eh. They always had an encounter. And so this shepherd comes along and he says, I want to give life. And he says, I give up my life for the sheep. Now, keeping in mind, in their culture for about a thousand years, the sheep gave up their life for the shepherd, right? What is the main sacrifice used throughout the entire Old Testament? Sheep. And yet in this case, we have a shepherd who's giving up his life for the sheep. And that's crazy. And again, I'm sorry, I have one more Greek word study for you. Uh, there's three different ways that we use the word life in the, in the Greek translations of the Bible. And the first kind is bios, the physical life. And this would be the example where we have the widow, the poor widow in Luke's gospel, and she puts in two small copper coins into the bucket and everyone else is like, what a waste. And Jesus celebrates and says, they gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on, bios, her physical life. All the money she had for her physical life, she gave to the temple. And Jesus declares that the biggest sacrifice that anyone in that particular day had ever given because he knows her heart, but it was out of her life. And so here's the question. When the Bible talks about the physical life, what are we supposed to do with that? And again, the idea is we need bios. We need our physical life, but we do not live for the bios. We live we live in, with a bios, with a body, physical life, but we do not live for it. And so when John writes 1 John, he'll say it's the pride of life that gets us into trouble. The life there is this life, bios life. To live as if this is all that there is and what I get for me in the 80 years, if the Lord should will, is all that matters. Jesus will say that is a fundamental problem and yet we are all naturally going to live as if this fleshly life is all that there is and all that matters. So it's not that the body's bad, as some religions would teach throughout history. It just can't be ultimate. It can't be number one. It is a life, but not the life. But that's not the life that Jesus talks about when he says that the shepherd gives up his life. He gives up actually this one. The Greek word there would be psyche. And that word is about 100 times in the New Testament. Sometimes it's used as soul. Most often it's used as soul. Here, uh, the translators translate it as Jesus gives up his soul. And in this case, Jesus, when he dies on the cross, doesn't just physically die. He gave up his soul unto death. He gave up that element of himself. So when he says, I give my life for the sheep, he's not just talking about the physical life, the bios life. He's talking about his psyche life. He gave up his soul and was abandoned by God in every way possible for the sake of the sheep. And so this is the life we live out of. This is the life that we are called to live and to give to God and to give up for God. So when we're, when we're told you know, that we have a will and choice and emotions and we're to give those over to God, it's this kind of life that, that the Bible's talking about. So Jesus gives up his bios life, he gives up his psyche life, and then we get to the last one, Zoe life. And this is always translated life or abundant life. If you look at the verse right above chapter 10, verse 11, verse 10, this is a verse many of you know. Here's what Jesus says here. The thief comes to only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life, life abundantly. It's this life, Zoe life that he's talking about. So here's the idea. Jesus gave up his bios life and his psyche life to give us abundant eternal life. So this word is like the life of God, this Zoe life, is the life of God lived out through his people forever. And so when the shepherd comes to give up his life, this is what he's doing. He's giving up his life in order to give us this life, Zoe life, abundant, eternal 
the very life essence of who God is, is now flowing into the life of the believer. And so this is a big concept, right? That we live not just with our physical bodies and not just with our soul, but to be enabled to live for eternity because of what the shepherd did. And so this is just verse one, and we're gonna go a little faster through the rest, so don't, don't look at your clocks too much, but here's what he's saying. The, the shepherd gives his life in order to empower us to live for him. And it's, it's an amazingly powerful passage um, that again, most of us, I think, we're like, yeah, yeah, it's cool, shepherds giving up their lives, but to give up a life for a sheep? That doesn't seem like a very good trade. And so here's where John is now going to transfer over to, well, what does that do for the sheep, right? What do we do with the death of a shepherd, the application? And here's what he says in verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. You know, it's, it's a very simple equation. Hired hands are faster than sheep. Wolves are faster than hired hands. Do the math. You know, if the shepherd or if the hired hand can run away and leave some sheep to be eaten, he lives, sheep die, circle of life. And in one way, it would make sense to us. And Jesus says, they don't own the sheep. Like who's gonna die for a bunch of sheep? I mean, I'll be honest. How many sheep have to die for me to live? Probably all of them, you know, like it's not even a, any, it's not even a question for me. And yet here's what Jesus says. The hired hand doesn't sacrifice for the sheep because it's not their, it's not their sheep. The sheep belong to somebody else. And here's where I think sometimes happens for us. The hired hand picture is those that are kind of like brought in to help take care of the sheep. And all of us have had hired hands in our lives, whether it's teachers or parents or pastors or neighbors, we've all had hired hands. And sometimes they do really well. And sometimes they run away when bad things happen. The, the problem that I think a lot of us have is we forget to keep our eyes fixed on the shepherd and we start to look at the hired hands and their shortcomings and their failures. You know, some of us have had really good hired hands that have done a really good job taking care of us. And we can thank God for those hired hands. Again, he's not really speaking derogatory about these people. It's just when a wolf shows up, when life goes sideways on you and you become a mess or something happens and people don't know how to handle it, the hired hands are like, I don't know, this is beyond my realm. And they leave. The problem is we think that that represents the shepherd. And so we get very upset and we think maybe that God has abandoned us because some of the hired hands in our lives haven't been there for us. And we get our eyes sideways versus looking up as Pastor Jeff always talks about. But here's what, we, here's what Jesus is calling us to do. The, there will be people who will leave, right? And even if everyone stays faithful to you, eventually death is gonna take them out of your life. There is only one who guarantees to stand by you through everything. And that is the good shepherd. Him alone, the good shepherd. Everyone else can do good or they can do bad depending on what's going on, but he alone will not run away when life goes bad for us because he didn't run away from the cross. And if he didn't run away from the cross, then he's gonna walk with you through your trial. He's gonna walk with you through your mess. And he says, I will do that for you. Hired hands may run, but Jesus never will. And if we can keep our eyes fixed on that truth, when those hired hands fail us, it will not wreck us. It'll hurt there could be consequences and pain, but it will not wreck our faith because those hired hands are not the shepherd. And Jesus wants to make a very clear line there that there's a difference between the hired hands and the shepherd. And so he says, our shepherd won't run away. When the, when the wolf comes, the, the, the shepherd will give up his life to fight off the wolf for the sake of the sheep. And then he moves on to this. He says this, my, she, my sheep know my voice and I know their voice. 
our shepherd knows our voice. Um, these are some forms of valid ID. Uh, back in February, I had the fun, fun privilege of having my credit card information stolen. So I got to go through that exciting process. Some of you have had your identity stolen. Anybody had their identity stolen and how unpleasant that is? Have you ever thought about this though? Is your identity being stolen? What is being stolen when your identity is stolen? <laughs> Potentially your money. When, when our credit card was stolen, what did they really have? They had my numbers and my name. Now, if somebody walks in the door and claims to be Zach Justice and spouts off my social security number, are any of you gonna be like, well, that clearly is him. Meanwhile, I'm standing up here being like, that's an imposter, but, but he, he, has, he has the social security number, right? The reason why identity theft is so traumatic for us is because in all the realms of our lives, we have no relationship with these people. Our bankers don't know who we are. Our doctors don't know who we are. Our insurance company doesn't know who we are. They know what? Your numbers. And if somebody steals those numbers and walks into the clinic with your numbers, for all intents and purposes, they're you. But does that work in this room? No, if somebody comes in claiming to be any of the mics that are represented in this room and claims to be them, we would know right away. That, that's not true, why? because we know them. They're not a bunch of numbers. They're people that we have relationship with. And if they call me on the phone, pretty much any mics that are represented in here, I think I would pick up on it even if I didn't have caller ID. Might take me a minute or two, but I would know. And so here's what Jesus is saying. There, and he'll use this illustration elsewhere, not in this passage. There will be imposters. There will be false shepherds. And there will be sheep and there will be goats. And the sheep and the goats are not the same. They may look the same. They may hang out together. They may eat together. They are not the same but the shepherd knows the sheep, or in this case, the bleat of his sheep. He knows them. We are not just a name to him. And one of the things I love about the book of Revelation is we are told that at, at the end, and this could be all symbolic, I don't really know. Revelation is confusing to me. But one of the things we're told is that at the end, we will be given a name by, from God to us that is our real name, our truest identity. And that that will be the name we will be called by him and him alone. Because he not only knows us, he knows us better than anyone else. He knows us perfectly. And so he says, my sheep, I know them. I know their bleats. I know their voices. When they need me, I know it. And I can even tell. And so I talked to my shepherd student and she said she can tell the, the bleats of her sheep. And even if they're in trouble or just hungry or whatever sheep need, she can tell by the bleat. And it is amazing to me that our shepherd cares enough to know our voice, not just our number, but our voice. And he has that kind of relationship with us because he knows us. Now, the, the, the part about that is that's scary, right? All of us want to be known, but only to a certain degree, right? We don't want every part of ourselves to be known by other people. We always have a tendency to hold back a little because there's parts of our lives that we're embarrassed of, parts of our lives we're uncomfortable with, parts of our lives that we just wouldn't want the whole world to know. And I think we bring that same kind of thing to Jesus sometimes. We're like, I'll give you this area, but I'm gonna hold back over here a little bit. And when Jesus says, but I know it all, I know everything about you, good and bad, there's a, there's a, there's a scary part to that. And so it's not all just happy thoughts that he knows me. It means he knows me, my motives, everything, down to the center of who I am, maybe even more than I know myself. And yet, he still is willing to lay down his life for me. And that is where the humility and the confidence of walking in Christ comes from. 
that he knows the best and the worst of me, he still died for me and walks with me. Who else can do that? Who else can claim that? No hired hand. And yet this shepherd knows our voice. He knows who we are and he walks with us faithfully. And last but not least, he says our sheep, uh, the shepherd, he says, is seeking after his own. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. Now, you follow the life of Jesus. He didn't really go out of Israel, hardly at all. In fact, like one of the rare stories where outsiders come to him and ask for help. We have this crazy Phoenician woman who's like, please heal my son. And he's like, I didn't come for you. I came for the sheep of Israel. <laughs> We're like, Jesus, that's so harsh. And she's like, yes, but even the dogs get crumbs. You know the story. And he's like, that's amazing faith. Your kid is healed. You go home. He's, he's good. He's like, I'm here for Israel. I'm here for this pen. And if you think about how many people Jesus influenced over the course of his life, when he ascends into heaven, we're told there's about a hundred people total in the church, not a big group. And so we can look at that and be like, well, why didn't he just go out and like travel to Rome? Why didn't he travel to Egypt? Why did he localize and really only go 60 miles away from where he was born? And the question is, how do you play risk? I don't play risk well. This risk board looks amazing to me. I don't know if you played risk. Last time I played risk, I did a little better than the first time I played risk, but I had like all my, my armies all evenly spread out upon all the countries that I owned because I thought that that looked the best. And the person I was playing had played before. And so here's what he did. He concentrated all of his armies at key ports. And I was like, you only have one army back there. He's like, I know. I'm like, but if I get past this, you're done. He's like, if you get past this. And then he just walked through my entire board because what he ended up doing is he ended up setting up his key armies at key ports. And then he just rolled the dice and obliterated my entire country and just walked on through. And Jesus did something very similar. If you notice here, he says, I have sheep of other pens and who's gonna go get those sheep? He is through who? Us. And then the book of Acts picks up and what ends up happening? The sheep are scattered and the sheep end up telling other sheep about their shepherd and this shepherd calls those sheep. And by the end of the book of Acts, the gospel has impacted most of the Roman world in less than 30 years. He had a plan and he was calling his specific sheep, but he recognized and he was basically telling his disciples right here, I'm not here just for Israel. I am here for the world. I'm here for Gentile sheep. I'm here for everybody. And I'm setting you guys up and I'm teaching you about who I am and I'm giving you the story and I'm showing you my life so that when the time comes for you to, to move, you now know the truth and can walk in it because I'm not just about this pen, I'm about the world. I'm about all the sheep and I'm calling them and I'm seeking after them and I'm seeking after them through you. And this is a challenge for us because we sometimes can kind of get caught up in our own little sheep pen and we forget that there's a bigger group of people that Jesus is seeking to reach and he wants us to go through it. He wants us to go for them. Kind of like the song we sang, like help me live it first before I go out, but, but help me go out. Help me live it, help me know it in my own heart. And then when I know it in my own heart, to be able to talk about it and to tell other, to tell other people about the, the shepherd. Uh, and he chose to use that. He chose to use us as that means. So this is, this is the application to us. We have a good a shepherd who knows our voice. He's calling us to pursue the world and he's willing to lay down his life for us. So what do we do now? Our shepherd is seeking after us. He's willing to risk everything for us. And now we have this challenge the challenge to the sheep, because he says, I know your voice, but then notice how he concludes it. He says, I have other sheep and they must know my voice. I know my sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me. 
And one of the challenges is for us is that we can know a lot about Jesus, but not know his voice. And the danger is kind of like what this picture is suggesting. I don't know if you're familiar with Greek mythology, but there were, there were sirens that would call out to the, to the sailors. And they had voices that were appealing and alluring. And, the, and if the sailors weren't careful, if they listened to that voice, they would wreck the ship on the rocks trying to get to this voice they thought was gonna bring them life. And there are false voices out there calling to us, calling us to live this way or pursue this or be challenged by this. And if we can't not hear the shepherd's voice over all those other voices, like the siren, we will be dashed to pieces on the rocks if we cannot hear his voice. So one of the things he calls us to do is to learn his voice, to understand who he is and what he's calling us to do. So in the Renaissance, they kind of debunked this, but for a long time in Europe especially, they believed that the voice resonated from the heart, which I like, the, I like that idea. And Jesus would parallel that, right? From the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what Jesus says, his voice in that sense is a reflection of his heart. And here's, here's the challenge for us. How do we know his voice? And you know, it's so obvious and yet so hard. How do we know his voice? We read it. He communicated through this book to us, his voice. And the idea that it is God breathed is the word that, that Paul uses to talk about this text, that God's breath moved through these people to convey this to us. His voice is through here to our hearts. So how do we learn his voice? We learn this text so that when the sirens of the world call us to other ways, we recognize, no, that's not the truth. It sounds good, but that doesn't line up with the voice of the shepherd. And I'm listening to the voice of the shepherd because I'm a sheep. And that, takes, that just takes time. That takes time to know the voice of the shepherd and intentionality because we're sheep and we forget things pretty quickly and we get, we get distracted. And if we're not constantly seeking to hear his voice, we will end up listening to other voices and end up being deceived and again, wrecked on the rocks. So the, the heart of Jesus is conveyed through his voice, through the text so that we can know him. And here's the, the second challenge for us as we think through the voice of the shepherd. He says they're sheep from other pens. He says, I want you to go after those strays. And he'll tell the parable of the 99, you know, the 99 sheep that are not lost, and he'll leave to go after the one. And we have this cute picture. When Jesus calls us to go after other sheep, we have this idea, right? The cute people in the world, you know, the people we just naturally like to be with. But have you ever thought about the fact that really the sheep that stray and the ones that Jesus probably wants us to go after? Probably more like this, right? When he says go after the strays, he's not talking about the sheep that have it all together and are hanging out with the other 99. He's talking about going after that kind of person, the broken people, the hurt people, the hurt people who hurt people people, if that makes sense. And here's where I want us just to stop. I'm gonna give us about a minute or two to think. Who comes to your mind as soon as you hear about going after a stray? Who's the stray in your life? Who's the person that's hard to love? Who's the person that's always bucking against the system? Who's the person that you just do not gel with? Could be someone at work. It could be, if you're like me, working with students. It could be your neighbor. Who is that person? And here's what I want you to write down in your notes, or if you, if you do this, to take a minute. What are you supposed to do with them this week to encourage them? I want you to be very practical here. The person that is this in your life that is straying away from you and from the Lord or whatever, that is hard to love, 
Who is that person? And what can you do this week to encourage them about the shepherd? I'll give you a, a whole minute without me talking. Maybe it's just praying for them. Maybe it's writing them a note. Maybe it's showing them grace one more time. Do you think about that passage in Isaiah 53, which talks about the shepherd laying down his life, right? Being pierced and all that for our transgressions. And then verse six rolls around. We all like sheep have what? We all, every one of us in this room has gone astray. We all are like sheep who've gone astray and everyone has turned to their own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all the sheep who've gone astray. Where does the power come to interact with the sheep that are like this? It's not self-control on your end. It's recognizing that we were that sheep that went astray. And the Lord laid the sin of the sheep on the shepherd so that the sheep had an opportunity to be saved. He says, my voice will be known by the sheep I've called. And we have the opportunity maybe to be the, the voice calling out to them. To be, to be in their lives, to seek to love them and to, to serve them and to take care of them. So this week, with the person in your life that is that sheep that's like this in you, to you, how can you show them love for this week? How can you be the voice of the shepherd to them? Even when it's hard, even when they're not pretty, even when they're a mess and their mess gets on you. This is the call of interacting with the strays. Now, it doesn't mean we're passive and doesn't mean we just let that sheep do whatever, right? Because the sheep that's going the wrong way can lead other sheep in that direction. So it doesn't mean we don't speak the truth, but how would the shepherd operate in this case? And are we willing to do that for those in our lives that are this kind of sheep for us? It's not easy. So as we think about that this week, I just wanna challenge you to put it into practice as soon as you possibly can and see if the Lord might change that sheep's heart to understand the voice of God. And maybe they're a goat, right? Maybe they want nothing to do with the Lord and you're trying to show them love. But here's the thing. We don't know the sheep from the goats. The shepherd does. At the end of time, the shepherd will know. We don't. It could be a sheep. It could be a goat, but we're called to love them the same because we don't know. We don't know who's who within the kingdom of God. And so as we wrap it up here, we are called to hold the fort. Uh, I think that expression, at least according to my research, came out uh, during the civil war in 1864. This is a picture of the fort that was held in Altoona, uh, Pennsylvania. And the way that it goes is General William Sherman wired General John Corson at Altoona and basically said, hold, hold, hold down the fort, relief is coming. That was the entire message. He didn't know when the relief was coming. He didn't know what the relief was gonna look like. And in 1864, I'm pretty sure things were not fully set as to who the victor was ultimately going to be of the Civil War. And so he had just one job. I hold this fort or die trying. I don't know when the relief is gonna come. I don't know how the relief is gonna come. And this probably would have been lost to history as far as a quote, except for this guy named P.P. Bliss wrote a hymn and it became very famous in the 1800s and everyone was, you know, 
singing it while they were riding their horses or whatever they did in the 1860s. But the idea of holding down the fort became an expression. And here's what we think about. The armor of God calls us to do what? Stand firm. Stand firm. We're not really called to advance. Sometimes we are. But in that particular, that particular passage, we're told to stand firm twice. Stand firm. We hold the fort. We hold what God has called us to hold this year. And we are a, not a huge congregation, but we're called to hold what God has placed in our care. And similar to that game of risk, maybe through here, we reach individual sheep and maybe we change Dutchess County, but here's what we're called to do. Love the shepherd, know his voice, love the strays. And then we let God handle how that all works out. And we let God handle how the relief comes. And we let God handle how the strength works itself out through the difficult people in our lives and the situations. But here's what we're called to do. Hold the fort, stand firm in the faith, and just let the shepherd be the shepherd and seek to listen to his voice, no matter what the calling is today for us. And we follow and we obey. And we trust that relief will come when we need it uh, by his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Um, that it's not all on us. We thank you that there is a shepherd that is over our lives and has a plan and sees things perfectly, loves us so much that he'd be willing to lay down his life for the sheep in order to give us abundant, true life. We thank you, Lord, that you know us and you know us perfectly. Help us, Lord, to do our part, the human responsibility part of knowing you and your voice and seeking to follow when you call even if sometimes it's just us walking by ourselves without you, I mean, without others and just following you. Help us, Lord, to do that and trust that you know what's best, that you have a vision and a plan. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to be in your flock and to love those around us. We pray these things in your son's name.